Hello and welcome to the show. Today we're discussing tourism, travel and COVID-19, the new narrative for Southern and Eastern Africa during a crisis vortex. Hi everyone. Um, my name is Navlika Ritanji and I'm currently the Clinical Operations Director at ICAS, which is um, an employee wellbeing program um, to in different clients in South Africa. Um, we have a lot of clients in the travel and tourism industry as well. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. My background is that of a clinical psychologist as well. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, and then Kubis. Hi there, my name is Grubus Skolz. I uh, have my own company called The Human Equation, and I have been in training and development all my life. Uh, I started off at Anglo-American in the human resources development, mostly focused on the behavioral science of training, never been involved in the technical component of training. And in 1998, I, I took a, a leap of faith and I started my own consultancy, and I have been blessed very much working with amazing companies, Sassol, PPC, Premier, Vacomo, Pioneer. Um, and um, yes, uh, primar primarily involved in leadership uh, development and all the behavioral components around that, but very much involved in the neuroscience of leadership. It's an amazing topic, it's very relevant. Uh, we learn every day more and more stuff. So uh, to me, the challenge is how do we connect an amazing model with how the brain functions? Because often it's just the cognitive understanding of a particular model per se, but it doesn't really change behavior. And that always fascinated me. How, how do we connect and, and create synergy between uh, very significant models, but that we can see the results and the change in behaviors of leaders and people in general? So that's in, that's in, in a brief summary. Fantastic. Very exciting. And, and I'm very excited to delve a little bit deeper in, in, into that uh, in the sort of coming conversation. Thank you for sharing. Um, Sarah. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm, um, my name's Sarah Habsburg. I'm from England originally. I'm currently in Austria, but I spent the last two decades in South America. I just moved over back to Europe last year. Um, I was tour leading across the Latin American continent for about 10 years and stayed in so many cool places that I wanted to create my own. And I bought some land in southern Chile in a tourist hub at the um, foot of a live volcano, and that's where I set my place up. Um, then the, I have had a couple of um, small pre-COVID um, events in my life, which set me in a great stead to be helping the people who I later led uh, consultancy for in the hospitality industry. First was the 27th of February 2010 earthquake in Chile, the 8.8 .8 earthquake, and that stopped tourism overnight, as you can imagine. Everything just collapsed, and I was running my own backpackers hostel at that time. Um, we survived, obviously, and the business kept on growing, and that was great. Um, but later I moved into consultancy after doing a master's in responsible tourism because I was very interested in how this tourism hub, which started off as a very small town, grew phenomenally and far too fast um, within a very short space of time. And so I did my master's um, focusing on sustainable destinations, etc., and worked alongside the municipality to help 
um, help build a plan really to how we could help this place grow not too fast as it already had started obviously showing signs of. And so at that time I was consulting for small independent hotels, hostels, lodges, always in marketing and business practice. And then we had the volcanic eruption. We were just 17K from this volcano. 3rd of March 2015, apocalyptic Im images across the globe before Chile had even woken up that morning. It happened at the early hours of the morning. And again, everything stopped. No flights, no reservations, just some very brave journalists and photographers. Um, and so that was my second pre-COVID whammy. Um, yeah, I had hoped that I would never have to use the crisis strategies again that I put together for my clients at that time and for my business in the, after the earthquake. But the world has a different plan for me. So that's why I'm sharing the knowledge and the resources that I created then um, in relation to the COVID uh, pandemic that we have right now. So I'm working online, uh, consulting again, and I created this six-part resource series to help um, businesses across the globe. And they've been very well, um, very well received. Fantastic, Sarah, and, and thank you. We'll, we'll dive a little bit uh, deeper into that, but I, I just wanted to ask a question, if I could. Um, the, the first two uh, sort of events that you experienced, uh, there was almost no uh, sort of warning, well, no warning, really. And after your, your, the, 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 the first time, you know, you experienced something like this, and then the second time having experienced it, now with, with COVID, uh, were you able to hit the, the ground fairly quickly running, or did, was there there a timeline where you had to sort of adapt um, the, the methodology that you previously used to, to this pandemic? Yeah, great question. The first two, I think I pretty much hit the ground running fast after the uh, volcanic eruption because it was the same place, same community, same market that I was looking at. And so that wasn't too, apart after the first, oh no, not again, then yes, it, it, was, a, it was quite hit the ground running fairly fast. With COVID, um, I'd had a big life change anyway, moving from South America over to Austria, and I was building up um, a new consultancy on this side of the of the Atlantic, um, but still consulting for my companies over there in the company I was working for over there in South America. And so when it hit, I was almost compelled to modify the information I already had. I really just sat down, I looked at what I'd already done, and I said, okay, this is all so relevant. And there are so many people out there suffering right now. So I created more, more information about social distancing because that was something that wasn't relevant in the fallout from the earthquake or the volcanic eruption. And, uh, and yeah, I just said, okay, the general marketing inspiration element, the social, mar uh, social media marketing, it was all relevant. So it was a matter of tweaking it and, and putting it onto a platform um, and just getting it out there, yeah. And um, it, the, the, the reception to um, the material so far, I mean, have you, uh, who's using the, 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 the material that you're, you're putting out? Because, I mean, the, the book Tourism, Travel and COVID-19, you know, we've got so many players in this industry. Um, who's it the most relevant to? It's all, great question, yeah. It's all written specifically for the target market that I've always had in my consultancy and the specific interest and experience that I have personally, and that's small independent hotels, hostels, B&Bs, and lodges. So it's the accommodation sector specifically. It has ramifications. People can read it who have operator, who manage operators or agencies, etc. Um, but there's a lot of crossover, but it's written specifically for accommodation um, options, accommodation industry. Wonderful. Thank you. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into to your uh, section next. Hello, hi, I'm Mandisama Kwaklaza for the benefit of, of everybody listening. 
Um, I am a born and bred Eastern Cape girl, um, and I fell into tourism straight after studying at Rhodes University. Um, because I, I grew up in a community, a farming community, um, just on the verge of a cons the conservation evolution that was happening in the Eastern Cape. And I was curious, you know, I watched my family's lives change because of tourism and I wanted to get in and find out, you know, what was on the other side. And I fell in love with it. So I've been in tourism ever since. I love it. Um, I um, have lived in Cape Town because uh, I followed it all the way there to get into the heat of, of the industry. Um, and, yeah, so I came to, to contribute to the book um, from that experience of, of speaking for and representing communities that are by and large marginalized a lot of the time um, and sometimes only used as a recreational benefit without any real sustainable rewards. So, yeah, and, and that's me. I hope I've done a good job of introducing myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. And um, then, um, Shanali, maybe uh, you can sort of introduce yourself and then just put into context how the, the book came about and, and how it started, uh, and then the various players uh, involved in the book, um, firstly with our panel, um, and then any sort of noticeable um, sort of highlights of the book, if you could. Okay, sure. So everyone, I'm Shannon Lee Hebbard. My entry into the tourism industry started in Namibia, where my husband and myself were managed four lodges in the Kalahari. I was in charge of the reception, the finance office, and very soon dragged into all spheres of the industry. After a couple of years, I decided I need to go find my own way. And um, I started, um, I opened my own franchise. It was an American franchise. It was basically a gym for, for ladies. And um, very soon I got very intrigued with the, in, with the inner workings of these ladies coming and hearing their stories and all the obstacles they had to overcome. And uh, I often found that I couldn't really help them. So that helped me to go into um, neuro-linguistic programming where I became an evolved coach and further that went into the becoming a strengths finder facilitator and coach as well. Um, I really love the inner workings of the mind, how people think, their stories and somehow after there was a little bit of personal upheavals in my life with a dear loved one of mine who passed away and also with a fourth child that came along I just thought I needed two years of just some quiet time to renew refresh and just yeah just not some me time but I soon realized that as much as I am a mom and I love my children I have a very active brain and I wanted to be part of something else and come back into the business world and that's why I got an opportunity to enter the other spectrum of the industry and that was working for a US-based tour operator company that specializes in student travel FITs luxury accommodation and uh, very soon I find myself working with the um, logistics of student travel and I truly love that component of the business because it wasn't just bringing students from America over to have a good time here but they were really part of communities they got their hands dirty and they really got to 
see the bigger picture and take a piece of Africa, a piece of history back home with them. So that was truly fulfilling work for me to see the change that happened when these students landed on African soil and they took a piece of that back with them. And then um, soon, uh, well, lately with the COVID-19, it was going to be the best business year ever. We had something like six groups signed up that were coming to South Africa, student groups, and then two groups were going to Kenya, and then COVID-19 happened, and all of that business went away. With that, also, um, I lost my employment. So um, it was a hard situation to face, and that is just where the book also started it actually started before I um, didn't have employment anymore and maybe this is where I will just transition as how the book came about it was around about the end of February when I returned back from um, visiting various lodges and community projects in Mpumalanga and the Northwest and um, we arrived home and my husband was asked by knowledge resources to share multiple well Knowledge Resources invited my husband and various industry experts to share multiple perspectives on how companies can manage um, this coronavirus that was coming. It was an unknown for many people, but they could see the trend that coronavirus was hitting South Africa, and very soon we will also be going down into the lockdown level. So they were very proactive, and they got this book together, and my husband was one of the contributors of this book. So when he came home, I read the book. I obviously read his chapter first, and then I read all the other things, and I felt truly inspired. There was no solution given, but there was definitely inspiration, hope, and some form of toolkit, some type of guideline that companies could follow that would help these companies. And I will never forget it. It was the first weekend of lockdown. After I had spoken to my friends in tourism, I spoken to colleagues, customers, and everyone was just numb. They didn't know what to do, where to go, where to find the answers. It was just absolute disbelief, hopelessness. And I just felt for everyone. I didn't have the answer. And I just thought, well, listen, yeah, if a book can be accomplished in 14 days from ideation to being published in 14 days, and it has provided some guidelines and help and someone I felt inspired by it, certainly there can be a book like this for the tourism industry. Now, this was well before any of the associations came together with their webinars. And I mean, very soon there was an avalanche of webinars and there was a lot of information being thrown out there. And um, it's been very valuable, but I then approached Knowledge Resources and um, they gave me the thumbs up and said they will work with me. I motivated why this is important for tourism. I then approached various people. And let me tell you, there was numerous, numerous times when people just responded, nope, I'm not interested. Um, I can't contribute to the book. And I totally understood that. I respected those decisions because people were going through a tremendous amount of crisis management. And I think maybe the last thing on their mind was writing a book when they didn't know how the story was going to end. But the one thing is I just visioned a book that will help people. That's all I focused on. And that is all that I believe, you know, I was put, uh, the right people were 
came across my path and I find those people. And it, it definitely happened in the moment uh, from conception to getting the thumbs up from knowledge resources to having a published book took 10 weeks. Um, originally, what I thought the book was going to be like, it over exceeded my expectations. I am truly happy. I know this is not the end of the story, but I am so grateful and honored for the people I got to work with, for um, the, the stories that are being told there, the guidelines, toolkits, and I truly believe it's a valuable book. And it is a book that's going to be here and it's part of history. So um, I've had, yeah, just a wonderful privilege of meeting new people, being inspired by their stories. And that collectiveness has just done wonders for me and I believe for anyone out there as well. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and I really do appreciate you uh, sort of putting all of this together. I mean, I think the one thing that uh, I, I've taken from from my limited experience in, 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 in this process is, is been the kindness and and, and uh, willingness for people to distribute information and, and help, um, you know, at, at the, the forefront of everything I've experienced with, with anyone who's involved in, in tourism, if you ask and um, people are always receptive to assistance. I think in the beginning it was a little bit difficult. Everyone, like you said, was in crisis management and I'm, I'm sure uh, we can speak a little bit more about that, what your, your, you know, your, your mind's going through during those times. But I think given, given the amount of time that's passed, how everyone's starting to react and default to their original setting, which in the, the, the majority of the, the cases is, is kindness and, 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 and really wanting to put uh, your, your, your best suit forward, which, uh, which I found uh, everyone's involvement to be. So, so I just want to say thank you to everyone before we get started, and I'm really excited. And, and yeah, I think um, we can jump straight in. I think, Sarah, um, you're up first, uh, if, if that's okay. Um, and, and, and I wanted to sort of handle some sort of practical elements to, to the book um, because cause your, your, your points are very um, – I'm sorry, my, my wife's just let my, my big fluffy poodle in and she's shaking her head. So if you guys hear that in the background, I do apologize. Um, but uh, it's impossible to keep them out. Um, uh, so, so as I mentioned, Sarah, sorry, your, your points are very practical, actionable, and um, they, they provide a great framework for businesses to take on. Um, I think a lot of these action points, though, um, inevitably will, I, I hope not, but Technology will be on the forefront of a lot of these action points um, from, from what I can see. You know, making sure that you have a, a point of sale system or a CRM system or, um, you know, ad adopting um, sort of uh, a, a more uh, analytical sort of standpoint as well. That's going to be important, understanding what works and what doesn't work. From, from my sort of experience working with, with, with companies, usually that, that, that results in, in taking a more uh, – technological approach and do you, do you think sometimes jobs will, will be at sacrifice there um, uh, to some extent? I actually don't. I really don't believe that that will happen. I'm talking from the perspective of, of accommodation um, uh, suppliers, yeah, so mm -hmm. if you think of a, of a small or a, yeah, a small size hotel, um, I believe that the people are so, so important to, act, to the industry as a whole. You can't have hospitality without people behind the scenes. It just doesn't work. Um, I do understand the reason for, say, contactless 
check-ins, etc. And that has a place right now. It does have a place. But I don't think it's something that will stay forever. There have always been hotels that have had contactless check-ins. And right now, there are probably a lot more taking it up. I don't think it's something that will stay forever. Um, in what you were just saying about CRM systems and PMS systems, etc., Lots of hotels run with these anyway, and if they didn't have one, then this crisis is just going to highlight to them the need to improve their customer management, and somebody has to be behind that. A system doesn't just appear in your reception and work on its own. You actually, if, if anything, we need to retrain staff at a higher level for better customer service, and I'm extremely passionate about that. That was my thesis for, for my master's. It was all about customer service. And I truly, truly believe that if you have the right people and you treat them well and you put them, you train them, that they will stay and so and and help you create a better business. Um, and so in a nutshell, I really don't think this will make a massive impact. We're going to see, of course, a negative impact on jobs because businesses will close. And some businesses will, in this, in this interim period, when they don't really know what's going to happen, when they can't see what the future holds for them, of course, they are looking at cutting costs. And I'm sure hotels have had to extremely begrudgingly let people go. Mm. Um, I'm very involved with this, the size of hotels and lodges and B&Bs, the kind where it's a small team. And the manager or the owner, they know the names of the children of all their staff. You know, I'm not talking about bigger hotels. And I, and I, I, my, my opinion on that or my experience on that is, is not um, my expertise at all. And so I'm talking about those smaller places. And so if someone has had to be let go at the moment because um, this initial impact has meant that their salaries just can't be paid, um, then I don't. I'm, I'm hoping that these businesses can then survive using the right strategies and then these people can gain their jobs back, if anything, at a, at a better, um, in a better position because they're going to hopefully then be led through training, which helps the, the companies um, offer better service and, and be better businesses in the, in the, in the future. So, yeah, we need real people behind the, 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 the sales funnel that we have right now, people need peace of mind. I've been saying this all along. We need to sell peace of mind. And again, that just doesn't happen from an Instagram post or from updating the website. We need to have somebody who's trained in this and who can almost hold the hand of the post-COVID guest by saying right from the first interest they have in this hotel or B&B or lodge or whatever it is, right from the first interest, somebody needs to be trained and, and, and have that empathy and the right state of, of mind and, and be in the right position to, to hold that hand and say, this is where you're at right now. This is who we are. This is what we offer. This is our reality. This is our truth today. Um, this is what we can offer you. And we're trying, you know, in the convincing process of someone to book in that sales funnel, Somebody needs to be there and they need to be trained. A machine is not going to do that. They're just tools that help you collate the information to be able to, to, to have better customer management in the future. So, yeah, I believe it's all about um, looking towards higher levels of excellence in customer service through retraining and excellence in, in training, high training, and using the online tools for the right, in the right way. Mm. Yeah, it was a somewhat loaded question because I, I've... I've you know, in in my sort of personal experience, that's that's been what a lot of companies have, have have started doing is is taking on systems that they haven't before and trying to sort of validate that with 
you know, that it could take the, the role of potentially two or three jobs, but then very quickly realizing, you know, in your responses to them, sorry, we're understaffed at the moment, but we can't get back to you. But hang on, you, you've just taken on all these systems that are now allowing you to do the job a lot more uh, streamlined and then realizing that it is actually, there, there's far more that goes into just having a streamlined, uh, you know, uh, CRM system or, or, or uh, you know, um, uh, more automated uh, marketing or sales process. Uh, it's actually the, the, that, that the human element doesn't fall away at all. It's just accentuated by these systems that you're putting in place, um, allowing you to spend more time with the customer on a personal selling approach as opposed to, you know, just, just having a, an Instagram post go live every couple of days and, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm really glad okay. um, sort of you, you've uh, aimed at it that way. Um, so I think, um, you know, South Africa's economy was already in, in a, a fairly bad shape before the lockdown uh, and with the current sort of economic climate, um, I'm hoping that mass retrenchments won't loom, but inevitably I think they, they, they will. Um, a lot of people are being put on sort of temporary leave without pay. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, with, with, with um, so many people and potential clients going through this, how do you think it will affect our domestic tourism within South Africa um, compared to what, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the domestic tourism looked like before COVID-19? Okay. Um, I think that promoting domestic tourism is actually is nothing new. This is just, it's just highlighted right now. South Africa has had a, a domestic tourism growth strategy. I was reading it the other day, 2011 to 2020 period. Mm. They were pretty much, you know, almost at the end of this, this strategy when, when COVID hit. Um, of course, the pandemic changes the strategy that was on paper um, for that period. So now it's about picking the focus um, areas that can be relevant to this, to this post-COVID process. Um, I think that keeping keeping your backyard clean, um, it's a very um, loaded uh, phrase, if you like, because domestic tourists tend to be a lot more, in my experience, careful of the environment that they're in because it's their home, it's their backyard. And so they tend to think a little more, be a little more kind. Um, it's just some experience I've had in that area. It might not necessarily translate across the world. But also, South Africa has so many natural resources. Now, 290 conservation parks, 10 UNESCO uh, World Heritage Sites. And I think this is the moment to actually be selling this, promoting pride in these enviable, world-class destinations that are just there on the doorstep for, South, for, 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 the, for domestic tourists in South Africa. Now you need to tap into the, 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 the need to go into nature. Everyone's feeling that after lockdown now. Selling the emotional benefits of this and also moreover the peace of mind. How to do it is through collaboration and thinking outside the box. Mm. We've been using this word so often recently. Collaboration in the sense of um, letting go of the, the selfish need to sell, sell, sell. Each person who has a business, I mean. And actually then saying, okay, what do I do best? What's the, what's the USP? What's the best thing that I do? And how can I work alongside somebody else and somebody else, somebody else to create a package so that we all get a piece of the pie? Um, and thinking outside the box, I'm, there, I'm referring to differentiated marketing. So this is nothing new either. Um, most people who have tourists coming in from international and domestic 
areas in the past have always looked at this as, as two different strategies now. So, you know, there's a strategy for creating specific packages for bank holiday weekends that are only relevant to the people who live in the country where that bank holiday is happening. Um, shopping and wine tourism. Wine tourism, I, I believe, is actually very big in the domestic area anyway in South Africa. A lot of people from South Africa go to to do wine tourism. I, I was reading a little about that the other day. Um, low season promotions to, to try to combat seasonality is also a way to attract more locals because you haven't got your international tourists coming in the low season areas. Points redemption schemes, loyalty schemes. Um, there are lots of things that you can do as an individual business, but also there are quite a lot of things that need provincial government assistance like improving the tourist information centers that's something that's 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 crucial and so in one tourist information center in one province they're in communication with the ones in the next province or the information is shared so that you can help people to travel when once um intra-provincial travel is lifted that's going to be important so people can see how they can create a trip um and also i think something like a thinking outside the box, a domestic travel card that offers reductions or a South Africa road trip app. Something that, you know, the way that people travel today is everyone has a mobile in their hand, a cell phone. Um, what do you call them in South Africa? Cell phones or mobile? Cell phones, yeah. Cell phones, okay. Everyone travels with a cell phone in their hand. Um, and that's something that I know it won't happen overnight, but that's the kind of outside the box thinking that we need to, 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 to be able to make a better impression for domestic travel in the future. Um, I also think that this is something that we can't consider to be, to be uh, um, a temporary action. Mm. It's, it, this, is, is, this is just a, a really great opportunity to focus on this area and it's something that should be seen as something that's going to continue in the future. Not least and not only because those elderly, elderly Europeans, for example, who might be returned travelers to South Africa, they probably won't travel in the next year or so if they're in a, an age group um, that puts them at a COVID risk, then they are more likely to be the ones who will stay at home. And I'm just using that as a small example. There's a huge amount of international travelers in the right age group and family travel and student travel, et cetera, that will return to Africa. I have no, South Africa, I have no doubt. Um, but just, just taking that as a particular example, there will be, a slight reduction in, in international arrivals for health reasons once the international restrictions are lifted. And so there is a valuable, it's so valuable to think about domestic travel as a role, as having such an important role in the, in the sustainability of destinations, mm. because it, it gives us this immense opportunity to contribute to priorities that are of national interest, such as economic growth, job creation, and poverty alleviation. And so this is not just a, a, a knock-on effect of the COVID-19 um, pandemic. It's, that's how, it's accelerated it. That's not how we should look at it, though. It's not just a knock-on effect. Let's do this for a while, see what happens, get some domestic tourists in, make a bit of money, and then wait for the international restrictions to be open. I think anyone trying to create a strategy now to promote domestic travel should be thinking about it in the long run. Mm. and using that kind of collaborative and thinking outside the box thinking to help them move forward with that. Fantastic. And, and uh, you know, I, I think you mentioned collaboration a couple of times. And, and how, how do you think that conversation goes? Um, you know, th th there are so many players involved in that process. Um, 
is it is it just a point of of, of having that as as the forefront of your messaging um, and and staying true to that messaging because it has to be a long term uh, uh, you know um, process it it can't just be for the short term for the next six months and then we move on to you know focusing on on international travel again so so how would you phrase that conversation as a starting point do you think um, well, I have an experience with it. one of my clients is actually in southern Spain, and they've just created um, a, a package including five players in the last oh, two weeks. Literally, it's just happened. Um, and it's been sold now. And so that started with a conversation. It was an idea that came about just of a conversation like we just had. And... It was actually first started with a hotel who contacted a cafe, who then contacted a, an airport pickup driver. And this was done privately. And I think there's a lot of potential for people to just drop the, um, the fear, perhaps, mm. of thinking that if they create a package with someone else, they're not going to make as much money as if they did it all themselves. Sure. It's about being a, a little humble and, and being in the right state of mind to say, okay, we all need help right now. Let's share this process um, and being the first. Once one person steps forward and says, hey, let's have a go at this. Let's see what we can do. They begin to build a trust relationship. Then the neighbor or someone in the next road sees what they're doing and think, okay, this is a good idea. And that it's, it's how it's starting the ball rolling. So the conversation starts with just being humble and saying, okay, let's get something together. Let's see what we can do. Wonderful. Um, Sarah, I, I, I sent this through to you earlier, um, you know, before we, we spoke, just because the, the, the quote resonated with me so much. Um, in the, you finish off in the, in, in, in the book with a, a Walt Whitman quote saying, I take the open road, healthy, free, the world before me. Um, and as anything, I think quotes are interpreted very differently by different people. Um, I, I, I quoted it, I sent you through sort of my, my, uh, how I feel about each of those phrases. Did you prepare something um, to, to sort of give me a rundown on, on why you use this and, and how you interpreted the quote? I did, and I loved your interpretation. I did. Um, I did take the first uh, part of it, open road, as I take to the open road, specifically because it was on the section, the resource about road trips and about mm -hmm. domestic travel. And so it was specific to, to road tripping self-drives. That was what was in my mind when I saw the quote. And I love the fact that it brought in the words healthy and free. Mm. For me, the healthy side of it was about feeling mentally healthy to take on the challenges that this has brought, not just as a business owner and not just as a traveler. It was basically an, an over, um, um, a, a word that for me encompassed the fact that, yes, healthy, we can relate it straight away to feeling good and we're not, we're not suffering from the, the virus, et cetera, and that's great. But for me, it was actually about feeling mentally healthy to take on the challenges that this has thrown at us. And the word free, immediately I thought from lockdown, we're free from lockdown, you can take to the open road because you're not locked in your homes anymore. And then the world before me, actually when I first read that, that alluded straight away to me to this awakened consciousness and the new perspective that we have no, lo we have no choice but to consider travel and indeed life with the, a new consciousness, a new perspective. We just have to think of things in a different way to how we did before. So when it said the world before me, I looked at it in a way that was, okay, it's new, it's different, we have to react, and we're going to move forward in the best way we can from here. 
Wonderful. And, and opening up so many different opportunities for people to engage about, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I'm reading a book um, by Sebastian Junger called Tribe at the moment, and, and he speaks about national, natural disaster and then the immediate effects of a community afterwards. And you see a lot of things fall away, um, you know, money, um, uh, materialism, and, and people mm-hmm. start going back to what it's like to actually live within a small community that all has the same, that all is going through a shared experience. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, when I read that quote, I, it, it, <clears throat> sorry, it, it got me a little bit emotional because a lot of people are going through or everyone's going through this pandemic and everyone's dealing with it very differently. But we all have um, for the first time in a, in, in a very long time, uh, a, a similar sort of experience that we can relate to and open up conversation. So I'm, I really want to thank you for, for putting that in the book because it, it really resonated with me and I'm sure it will do with a lot of other people. Thanks. Good. Great. Um, so, um, Sarah, thank you so much. Um, we're going to jump into sort of um, uh, Mandisa's segment, Tourism versus Poorism. Um, I, I loved your, your, your chapter. Um, uh, it, 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 I think if, if you don't mind um, me sharing, Mandisa, I, I, I reached out to you on LinkedIn immediately after reading it and, and just said, you know, I've, I've been playing with as a, I've, I recently, not recently, about four or five months ago, lost my job and, um, you know, don't have a form of income. So started um, a, a small travel company, but just uh, as well as a podcast to try and talk about my experiences and the people in my social circles experiences. And um, one of them was, uh, my wife had been working with an NGO, or sorry, um, a nonprofit for for a while now, um, doing surf school uh, or surf lessons in in Musenberg, and and uh, one of their sponsors had pulled out of South Africa, and they really needed just you know money for rent and um, money for for kids meals and 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 you know m- my wife and I are no, in no way sort of in a place to to be able to give financially to them, and um, you know I I thought okay i can't contribute financially so i'm just not going to do anything but after reading um you know your 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 chapter really kind of pushed me to say okay well what other skill sets do you potentially have um what conversations can you potentially have what connections could you potentially have and it it's just it 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 pushed me in in a direction where i would have never thought oh hang on you know if i can't financially contribute towards something it, it's not really worth pursuing and um i i reached out and and you immediately responded on on linkedin which i was amazingly surprised at because so many people are doing that you know they're 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 being receptive to to, to conversations they're being receptive to to change they're being receptive to helping even uh when they can't and and i really wanted to sort of mention that and thank you for that because it, it was it was something that um that i really appreciated and and you know, township tourism, um, it, it plays such a vital role in the travel industry. Um, but townships and, and poor communities that benefit directly from tourism are some of the most vulnerable during this pandemic. Um, what, what do you think the challenges, as well as the opportunities, are going to be in facing growing township tourism going forward um, post-COVID-19 and then really coming out stronger? Hello, Peter. It's so nice to see you. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for reaching out. That was lovely. We had such a, a um, an insightful like conversation. Um, and as you're saying, you know, we've had a lot of those. Um, we just have time, I think. And and this, as you were saying before, has really 
equalize the playing field, you know, in its non-discriminatory in how it affects and um, and infects, and and everyone has has received the blow and just had time to consider their own humanity. I think we all had time to consider our own humanity, and and I think that automatically makes us a bit more gracious towards the next person. Um, so I was so glad as well and so blessed to have had that that interaction with you. Sure. And coming back to that and the and and what's happening in in rural communities at the moment, as well as townships around South Africa that really depend on tourism. Um, well, that's actually one of the first problems we've seen. Um, I, I, I manage public relations and content management um, at the Mantis Collection, and we support a lot of um, communities in rural areas, and through a foundation called Community Conservation Fund Africa, also support education programs in surrounding townships around Port Elizabeth, where I am based and, and where I'm from. And um, dependence is actually one of the problems that we've, we've realized during, during this pandemic, um, that it is unfair that tourism is, has become the only source of, of income, the only source of assistance to them. Um, and it's a good thing that we are there and we help, um, but I think we should also be striving to do it more sustainably to get communities to be able to to do for themselves and and not only just wait for for tourists because right now we're sitting with lodges that are empty um wines for example that contribute to conservation um bead work that is done by women in communities and they're sitting and and now with nothing you know with no income um so dependence is one of one of the things that I think we need to deal with. Um, and then there's obviously poverty-related crime. You know, I think another challenge that's going to come out of 19 in bringing people to townships and in, and in um, promoting township tourism because, you know, people have been forced even lower beyond the red line. And the beauty of the township, when I go, Elokshini, the beauty is that people who aren't familiar with it with with being in the township um see poverty and and uncomfortable going into townships because they have to face the reality of people living in 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 different circumstances circumstances that they perceive as poor and 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 poverty ridden whereas the lifestyle um in the townships you know, people are on various in the chapter. They are on various levels around the breadline, above the breadline, below the breadline. Um, but the nature of community and how people help each other and support each other—it's not a—it's—it's—it's it's, it's the beauty is that people have more Ubuntu and they help each other, and it's not such a, um, you know, such such an, an eyesore, something that should be unpleasant. Or, like a topic of conversation the whole time people get on with life and that's the beauty and the resilience of people in the township and that's why we have these businesses that come up um however during this time less people are employed there is going to be the reality of an increased 
um, rate of poverty. And I think the best way that we can do this is through the suggestion of collaboration as well, um, and including communities. Um, I found that when I go up to, to young men in Motherwell who are on idle on the street, and I say to them, I've got this cleanup project, um, I'd love it if you guys would help me, um, and this is what you are going to benefit afterwards. I've never had anybody turn me down. You know, when you give somebody an opportunity to experience something different and to make an impact, and then give them a tangible benefit, you know, contributing to the problem, um, there's opportunity for them to become part of the solution. And I think we're going to have to um, use inclusivity um, and working with communities and collaborating um, throughout, through SAPs, um, community township tourism associations, through private within the within the community, because like you, you made the example of going to Musenberg, a business that will benefit from a safer environment should invest in the solution for that environment as well. Mm -hmm. So maybe giving um, certain benefits and skills development and skills sharing to to help alleviate that problem. And um, another issue I think, which has been long, you know, have um, was existing long before lockdown is the issue of infrastructure. I'm so sorry, Peter. I need to plug in my laptop. No problem. Please excuse me. Sorry. Not a problem at all. Sorry, is, is everyone still around? Um, uh, Shana Lee, uh, are you still with us? I'm still here. It's Wonderful. just my internet connection Perfect. is terrible. So I apologize no, for no, that. No, no, no problem. Here. Great. Ah, sorry about that. No Thank problem you. at all. Um, and another problem that's been around, um, obviously, for a while, especially in tourists, in, tour, in townships, is infrastructure. Um, it's a huge issue. And it's part of the reason people also avoid going into townships because you want to see um, beautified surroundings and you want, if you take your car in, you want to drive on a good road. And I, the tender processes that government works on are unfortunately, you know, have been corrupted. And the, there's a lack of transparency in making sure that the quality of the infrastructure work done in townships is that it, it's sustainable, that it lasts longer. Um, so I think there as well, a more sort of collaborative approach um, and an inclusive one I've seen in Grahamstown where community members, instead of having one um, business doing a project, where, where community members have, have received skills development and formed cooperatives and have formed building cooperatives, brick-making cooperatives. And instead of one person benefiting from a million rand tender, you have quite a few community members who put the, the skills together and provide the service to the government and, and the remuneration is then shared. So I think we really need to be creative about the solutions that, um, that we implement and 
and, and specifically to choose solutions that spread the 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 income and and make the pie bigger and just have more people benefiting. Um, skills shortages, I think, are going to be another big issue after COVID-19. It's actually a bit of both. With a lot of unemployed people, you know, people having been retrenched, there will be a lot of people sitting in the location um, in the rural communities who have a lot of hospitality experience with, with you know, who are sitting there um, without jobs, unfortunately. And then there will be youth, a lot of youth who who have lost bursaries because corporates aren't able to fund them um, uh, for many reasons, having dropped out of school and without the skills necessary to go into the formal job market. And I think there's a beautiful opportunity there for also skill sharing and development, um, you know, where companies are not able to um, employ their, their people back into tourism for a long time. Um, I just hope that they, those skills of those individuals can be used to train other people within the industry. I know that there are quite a few, I know of one in PE, um, a few businesses that have adapted in during this time where they were providing a service and now they've registered with CETA and they provide training for that service. So instead of um, providing in addition to providing housekeeping services, they're now training unemployed youth um, with the skills and, and giving them that, that development. And that's a good cooperation as well with, with government funded, with a government funded organization and a private business and, um, and, and you know, kids being able to get the skill um, without necessarily paying for tuition. Um, so I think, yeah, there's the, 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 the landscape and socioeconomic landscape in townships um, has has not changed. It's it's the same, but COVID nineteen has amplified the issues and it has mag like magnified um, everything that has that has gone wrong within the township tourism landscape or just the township landscape and and to begin with. Um, but there is great opportunity, you know, and I think like we discussed, um, Peter, when for, for, for people to take an individual and personal interest in what happens in the communities around the cities and get up and say, you know what, I don't have money, but I have the skill, I have this sort of influence, let me go and find people to connect with and to hand this over and to, and to plant a seed um, in a community that is actually still mine because it's on the peripheral. It's, it's right there, um, just next to the city. Wonderful. And, and uh, I mean, just finishing off, um, I, in, in one of your uh, sections of the, 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 the book, you mentioned that, um, uh, you know, it, it takes a village and, and that really kind of, uh, it, it resonates with me because uh, throughout this conversation that we've had with everyone, collaboration seems to be coming out quite a bit. And, um, you know, like, like so many things uh, with collaboration, there's multiple stakeholders uh, that, that, that come into to play. And, you know, 
as a, as an individual, you sort of you 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 want to to do something and you have a project in mind, but it's always very daunting because there are multiple sort of steps that you need to take, and it's sometimes often uh, a lot easier if you 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 can you know uh, separate kind of this is what I'm really good at, this is what I'm going to approach, and there are multiple other sort of stakeholders that are really good at what they do. Let's get them involved. Um, you know, and, and I'm talking private businesses and um, associations, tourism offices, industry uh, leaders, politicians, communities. Are, are they, can you give us sort of any practical examples that we can try and model? I'm a very practical type of person and, and seeing it in play is often uh, a little bit easier that you can take a model and apply kind of and, and reach out to multiple stakeholders and say it, it has been done successfully. Um, this is the, the the suggestion that we kind of want to model it on. Do you have any of those kinds of examples that um, that you can kind of give us? Sure, um, I do. And actually, one one tourism related one is um, an example I learned after I'd actually written the chapter. I would have loved to include it, and it is Neisner tourism. I met a gentleman by the name of Sean Van Eck. Um, who had actually developed um, a very good model um, in, in Neisner. Um, but in, in giving you the, I wish I could give you the inner workings of it right now, but I can't. But an example that I can is one that I have used personally. And, and honestly, Peter, I've found that you just have to knock on doors. Um, if you... If you want to do something and if you have something to, to, to give and, and you have an idea in mind, um, it's the pursuit of finding the right people to work with that actually just avails so many opportunities and it avails so many people that are willing to contribute. And that has been my personal journey. Um, I first started um, celebrating Tourism Month a bit differently in 2018 um, with a project that um, works with school children to clean up Addo, Addo Road, which is quite an important tourist route here in PE. Um, and it's right next to the township where I grew up, which is Motherwell. And every guest review that we get, it's like, oh, it's filthy down there. Can somebody just clean up the road? And every second week, there's a letter to the Herald from, you know, someone who drove past and from warmer in the suburbs, like, can they just clean up the road? Um, so together with Mantis, which is a private company, we, we, say, we rolled up our sleeves and we're like, okay, let's try and clean up this road. Um, it's not on our doorstep. Our hotels are in Summerstrand, but our tourists are affected by what they see. Um, so, and, and people that drive in from the city are also Im Im impacted. And in doing that, I've always been passionate about transformation. And um, Sarah was talking about local, you know, domestic travel earlier on. And I think a big issue in South Africa is a lack of access to domestic travel. Um, we haven't quite developed a travel culture in the townships. Um, we haven't developed or <laughs> almost unable to develop a travel culture in the working class. And probably more so now because people can't afford it, um, which I think is something that we really need to tackle as an industry as well in terms of how we structure rates and all of that. But um, in looking at inclusivity, I wanted to start with school children. 
um, I know for my having worked for the likes of um, La Libella and Pumba, the Cape Race Hotel, and eventually Booking.com, where I got my first opportunity to travel overseas, that travel is an education. It is a privilege that opens up doors and can open up minds. And I feel that if we start including children from the townships and rural communities in, um, in tourism from an early age, then it will, it will really foster a culture of travel within South Africa. And again, I was sitting in a meeting yesterday for Nelson Mandela Bay Tourism asking, how do we get the locals to be ambassadors? I was like, well, they need to experience things first. Mm. And if we want to build up that culture, we need to give people access. So we started working with the school children and we got them to clean the road. The road is next to your school. You litter. The, it goes, flows into, into the road. It gets to the sea. One day you're going to land up with a piece of plastic on your plate instead of a piece of fish. So we put education together and we collaborated with the waste trade company. Um, we collaborated with South African police services who came and also spoke to the kids and put the fear of God in them as, you know, littering as a crime. The municipality, they took up all tools to assist in this. They brought in the traffic department. They supplied the um, cleaning equipment, the safety equipment, the provincial tourism office also got their hands involved um, and it was such a an amazing project in that every sector and the community the community security forums the community tourism forum were involved and they were literally the adults chaperoning the kids on the day um, making sure that everything was organized um, that, that the recycling was done correctly and for me, that was the greatest example of collaboration. You had private business, you had parents, you had children, you have community leaders, um, the government, tourism associations, local, regional, and you know, and township as well, working together to create a cleaner tourism route, educate children about a life skill, which is environmental management. Um, and then Mantis, obviously being so generous, provided the kids with um, lunch and food and everything. And we got sand parks to open up their gates. So every child out of the 860 that were present on the day got to go into sand parks for free on a sponsored bus trip with a sponsored lunch to go and see. When these people come past my house, where are they going? Because a lot of kids don't know. Why do I have to keep this road clean? What does it have to do with me? Well, there's wildlife down the road. Have a look. This is how this affects you. This is how money comes into the province. And we're able to do a lot of things. So that was a, that's been a really amazing example of how collaboration can work to improve township tourism, um, to improve the townships you know, to improve township economies. And I just want to see a whole lot more of that happening in South Africa. And there's no, I don't know if there's a formula. I'm not, I, I haven't studied it. Um, my formula has been knocking on doors and finding people. And every time I've found a willing heart, 
and a willing wallet and a willing um, you know mindset. That's been the real recipe. And and uh, you know I, I think it 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 speaks to 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 what we've we've kind of been discussing today is uh, you know you you have this idea and and you have um, a, a sort of a I, I've always tried to in my limited experience in the industry um, I don't have any sort of um, standpoint to the sort of amount of experience that that um, you know the, the the guests that we've had today but if if you just if you put it out there and you speak about it and 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 you 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 share your passion and your excitement about a, a subject or a, a a project people kind of hold you to that uh, you know and, and i've 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 had to check myself a lot because you know my wife will often come to me and say no more projects please because i often you know i get so excited about it i throw it out there <laughs> and then 3 days later someone will have run with it and and give me a call hey we're we're doing x y and z uh in in a week's time please come about and then i've already promised a, a whole week of my time to to a project that i've almost almost forgotten about so um and and i, I wish more people would do that is just put it out there if you're passionate about it um you know and and it resonates with someone it always will and and like you're saying knock on the door try and get acceptance of 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 your idea and 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 there's always someone that's willing to help and there's always someone who's got that similar passion uh, albeit as extravagant or small as you you might think or perceive it to be uh, it can have an impact an impactful uh, sort of um, or it can resonate with 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 other people so um thank you for sharing that's it's 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 really uh, i think um wonderful uh, sort of an, an example of 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 something big or small um that you can you can implement uh uh real time really great um uh navlika uh we've so i i must apologize i've i've left both yourself and kurbus for the end because it's the most daunting of subjects for me um <laughs> uh so so we'll start with you navlika promoting personal and workplace mental health in the age of covid-19 and um you know i think it's it's something that I'll, I'll, if it's okay, I'll share a little bit of a sort of a personal um, standpoint, and we can we can mold that on on the questions. Um, you know, I I first sort of went through when when the pandemic hit, um, everyone started freaking out. Tourism is going to end um, as we know it, uh, but we don't know to what extent. Um, companies are panicking, suppliers are panicking, everyone's pulling money out. They want our refunds. And the first thing that a lot of organisations do is call a board meeting and say, "How are we going to deal with this?" And in in some such situations, it's okay. We're going to have to move into immediate retrenchment. And you know, for for I I, I remain an eternal optimist, but we are going through challenge, challenging times and you know i hope that that organizations won't resort to sort of the 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 mass retrenchment and no support um you you speak a lot about support um uh that that you know our employer or employees put so much into their 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 passion especially in tourism i mean we we you're hard pressed to find an industry that's that passionate about what they do because it's so connected to what you love you know i i i i can't go a day without being in the outdoors it's just it's something that that doesn't sit well with me if i two days and i haven't been outside i i panic and i can't make business conscious decisions i i start acting far too emotionally and and cobus we can speak about why um later on in the book but um you know i, I but 
I hope that, you know, um, when, when, when companies are not reacting in a way of, of support, when they're not holding their employees through this time and uh, from a mental health, uh, health perspective, um, and, and employees are being retrained, so put on long leave with no pay. Um, what actions can they take to stay positive? Um, you know, uh, stay connected to the industry that they love and, and, and really care for their mental well-being um, when they don't have the support from those organizations. Thanks, Peter. It's such a great question. I just wanted to quickly say uh, before I respond to that, that Mandisa, I'm also a PE girl. So I just, you took me through, it was so nostalgic to listen to all your examples and take me back <laughs> to home. Um, but now I'm a Joburg girl. So <laughs> thank you for that. So Peter, I mean, it's such a critical question that you ask. Um, and, and I thought I'd share a, a stat with you in terms of um, the support that you're actually asking about is internationally about 60% of organizations do not have wellness programs in place. So, so we're already starting on quite a limited base. And um, more than that is about 61% of organizations don't offer their employees any kind of resource to support their mental health. So, um, so you ask such a, um, it's such a laden question because there are many organizations that invest in the well-being of their, uh, their people. Um, in fact, we're working with one particular organization right now, which is uh, obviously deeply affected in the same industry, going through business rescue and the one thing they will not let go of is the support that they're providing to their employees they're going to hold their employees hand right through the end whatever the outcome is um, and and that's actually um, not commonly seen um, across across the board because like i said when i share those international stats with you that's not the first place people are looking to support their, their employees broadly speaking so it's a really good and a really realistic question when you ask about what can people do um, when they're being negatively impacted and have no support. So I thought I'd just share a few practical things that um, uh, the listeners listening in could, could think about and, and sort of apply quite immediately. Um, the first thing is identify who forms part of your support system. Who are the people... Um, that you can tap into, whether it's family, friends, um, whether it's a, um, a resource down the road that offers some kind of um, form of assistance or, or even a church or whatever it might be, who is your support? Who is your go-to person? And know that at the front of your mind, um, because often when we hit crisis, we're not thinking clearly and, and we don't think of those people first. So at a time at which you're not sort of um, sitting in that crisis, it's important to jot these things down and to think about these things and reflect on these things so you are more prepared when you are hit with any kind of crisis. So who is your support network and how do you access them? 
because it's one thing knowing who you trust and who you can talk to, but it's another thing knowing that you feel comfortable to pick up the phone at any given point and share that you're feeling really distressed about X, Y, and Z that's happened um, and, and you just needed to talk about that. So I, one of the things I've been saying quite often, you know, in doing a lot of talks around the impact of COVID-19 on mental health in, in specific has been to really gain this perspective that how fortunate are we to be in a pandemic at a time where we have access to so much technology mm. um, and that we can connect with one another and the collaboration that Mandisa has spoken about as well, that we can become innov innovative and work together in the, the socially distanced way um, to still make things happen, to still be there for one another, to still support one another. Imagine being in a pandemic where we didn't have a digital means of connection. Uh, I mean, I, I couldn't even imagine what that would be for people's mental well-being. I mean, it would be all negative, actually. So there's so many positive things that we can do at a time like this um, to, to reach out to one another using those digital platforms, staying connected with one another, um, staying connected to the industry, and, and even understanding where are some of the gaps. Um, you, you talked about, Peter, people being in, in the travel industry specifically being so passionate about what they do, that right now, when we think about just shifting that perspective, do we view this crisis as a comma or as a full stop? A comma being that we need to pause and pivot our strategy with some thought, you know, applying ourselves to that, or a full stop as, as in this crisis has resulted in a complete disruption in my life. I can't move on. I don't know what to do next. And everything's crumbling around me. So perspective is such a strong element in terms of how we manage this crisis and, and where we find ourselves. So in looking at some of the gaps that we might, um, we might um, sort of, find if we are willing to look for it, because otherwise we don't, we succumb to that um, sort of darkness um, whereas where, there is the opportunity to rise, to innovate at a time like this. And how do we pivot so that we speak to some of those gaps? So as an example, what are people looking for right now? Um, one of the speakers already mentioned uh, people want to hear, I think it was Sarah actually, taking people through step by step. Uh, you need to hold their hand through this process. People want to hear about the safety measures in place. They want to hear how, they, how they're going to be sort of looked after in a way that they can still um, take that leap and, and go ahead with domestic travel that's opened up um, within your province. But they also want to know that there are all these, um, that security blanket is in place. So how do we then, um, how do we then use that opportunity to, to close some of those gaps? And those are going to be the places that survive. 
those are going to be the places that um, make it through this difficult time uh, because they've reached out, they've understood what the need is, and they're talking to people. So there's that um, people resonate then with, um, with the establishment, what they're trying to achieve. And I feel safe to make this decision. Even though I was hesitant to go anywhere, um, they've convinced me actually that I'm in good hands and I can do this because it's the right decision for my mental um, health and well-being at this point in time. So that's just an example about how we can also stay relevant um, if, if it hits us in terms of whether it's retrenchment or, or trying to keep the industry um, sort of pumping at this point in time when, when, when there's so much of negative impact that we can, we can be focused on actually. Um, another point is to know your triggers. So uh, I know that this is often spoken about in terms of when you're stressed out about something, what's your trigger? What has been the thing that results in you feeling stressed out? But of equal importance is to not just know your triggers, but also to know what is good for your mental health and well-being. So um, it's not just knowing what are the things that stress me out, and it can be simple things. It can be conflictual situations or um, when I have too many things on my plate or when somebody lies to me. Or what it, it can be multiple different things for different people that triggers your, your stress levels. But of equal importance, we need to know what is good for my soul. And for some people, that's being out there. And Peter, you already gave a personal example of you have to be out there. You have to be in touch with nature. You know that about yourself. And in fact, when you hit a wobble, that's probably one of the first questions you ask yourself mm. is, have I been stuck indoors? Um, have I not sort of been in touch with myself? Have I not been out there? Um, but you'd be surprised that there are many people, Peter, that don't know it as clearly as you do um, in terms of what is good for them. So again, before being hit by any crisis at this point, I mean, obviously we're already in, in, in a pandemic, so to speak, but there's so much that we can learn about ourselves um, and about each other in this time as well. Um, and whilst the worst is yet to come in terms of, like you say, the mass retrenchments and the impact on businesses and, and those kinds of things. These are things that we can do to equip ourselves in terms of getting through this crisis. Um, and so what is good for me? Is it having a hot cup of tea and um, reading a good book? So is it alone time or is that the time I actually need to connect with others? Mm. Um, do I find that I isolate myself further if I, if I spend too much time alone and I actually do need um, sounding boards um, of, of people that I care about around me? So how do I plug into that? How do I equip my support system and the things that are good for me to be ready and available um, so that if I hit any crisis that I'm still looking after my mental health? Does that make sense, Peter? Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, we're, we're, the pandemic has sort of forced our hand a, a little bit by saying, look, you've got to be working from home. Um, and it, it allows us to, to be, have a little bit more flexibility and, and freedom in shaping our day 
to, you know, when we are in a stressful situation, you know, my exercise clothes are right here. My bike is right here. I don't have to drive an hour to get home. I don't have, I just put my stuff on and I can take a short lunch and I'm out of the office. And then in, in an hour I'm come back and I can sit in front of my computer and knock out those emails that were stressing me out. Um, and, and I think that the, the sort of pandemic has kind of forced companies hands a little bit and saying, you need to be a little bit more flexible. You need to, 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 to pay a little bit more attention to someone's sort of mental well-being and giving them the freedom and flexibility to yeah. be able to, to, you know, handle these kinds of situations and not let them build up, at least for personal experience anyway. That's, 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 that's been really uh, important for me. Yeah. If I can just add to that, um, is often people use the term work-life balance. Um, and in fact, that's an old term before the pandemic already. It's now, uh, we should actually be talking about work-life integration. And the pandemic has just accelerated the need for companies to think about it from a work-life integration perspective. Mm -hmm. Because that gives people more permission to wear all these multiple hats that they're wearing and wear it without guilt. Mm. So... So that you can then have the luxury of, and it is a luxury for some, um, but to literally put on your, your exercise clothes and have a workout in the middle of the day, because that's what you need to do to stay focused, to sure. manage your own mental health and well-being. Mm. And the last point I just want to raise then connected to that is um, that uh, another thing that we can focus on doing at a time like this um, you know, especially where companies don't offer that kind of support, is how do we build our own resiliency? Because resiliency can be learned. And I think that's a key message to everybody um, listening today, is that it's not innate. It's not something you're born with. Yes, some people are born with more resiliency levels than others, but you can absolutely work on building resiliency um, uh, even as an adult. So how do we build our own resiliency? But more than that, how do we plan for prosiliency? And prosiliency, there's been a shift from resiliency to prosiliency, where resiliency is about, it's, it's almost like it's reactive. You first hit with a challenge um, and then you try and bounce back. So you feel like crap, you go through all those motions um, and then, and then you try and build up those pieces again and, and bounce back from that challenge. But when we talk about prosiliency, it's being proactive. What do we need to do to prepare for the challenge? The challenges are coming. It's in all shapes and formats, um, for each and every one of us. Um, if we haven't been through it already, it's coming in different ways and forms. So how do we prepare for that? Um, in a way that we anticipate the challenges before they happen so that we scenario planning and we, we minimizing the impact when it actually does happen. And one of the things people can think about, and I mean, there's many different options, different things work for different people, but one of the things people need to think about is what am I passionate about? What can I build a second career in? What can I do on the side that, um, you know, how do I use my skills or bring my skills together in a way um, that I can still provide value in, in, um, by contributing in a different way than, than my norm? So, I mean, I know that's um, it's such a big topic in and of itself, but I just wanted to sort of plant that seed 
mm-hmm. in terms of we all need to be thinking about about those things. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for that. And I think, you know, like uh, on your last point, um, you know, I, I think that we're, we're far too, well, from personal experience, I was often far too pigeonholed myself in, in one direction. So uh, you're the sales manager. This is what you do. These are the sort of things that you have to cover in a day. Tick those off, move on and, and build on that daily. And that's kind of the funnel that you work in. But the minute you start thinking, especially now when, when you have the extra time, uh, what do you enjoy? Well, I enjoy speaking to people. Okay, what else do you enjoy? I like being outside. Okay, well, why not go into a podcast while you're climbing on top of Table Mountain? It, it's something that I loved. It's a bit of a creativity. It's something completely different. Might not resonate with anyone, but I enjoyed it. And the people that we were with enjoyed it. And it gave me a little bit of uh, sort of um, um, uh, a more creative spin on something that I would have never considered doing before. And um, I, I, I'm so excited to see more and more of this. Um, you know, uh, I, I think Sangeet is a wonderful uh, example of that. They're, they're starting to do uh, game drives and filming it every morning. So it gives people that would have never had the opportunity to see wild dogs um, you know, interact with wild dogs for an hour and a half, following them through the bush live. You know, it's 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 something that's 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 never been available, and and it's because we're exploring different avenues that we never explored before because we have the time available to us. And you know, you you see companies that um, you know they've got such valuable content and such valuable information to put out, but you you see one post from them in a week or one or two posts from them every couple of months. Now they've got the time to start exploring their artistic creativity and sharing a more personalized aspect to who they are and what they're about. And I've really started seeing that out in companies that I thought, are they just the big conglomerates that sort of, you know, have, they think a certain way and it's just money at the top of what they want to achieve. But there's so much more behind them. Obviously they're people, they're personalities, they're us, you know, and you start seeing that come through in business because we have the time to explore those kinds of things. So it's really been interesting to see and, and, and something that I'm really excited to follow, and I hope this trend continues. Wonderful. Um, Navlika, thank you so, so much for that. Um, very informative. I really appreciate it. And then, Kovas, I apologize. Um, you know, we've, we, we've kept you right for the, for the end, but um, some big words about to sort of uh, come out in my questioning. I apologize if I stutter or pronounce them incorrectly, but I, I, I really wanted to, um, you know, uh, touch on... on uh, a phrase that you mentioned, um, and I think it's safe to say that a lot of us are in our um, sympathetic nervous system uh, has kicked in. And um, that's sort of, uh, in, in layman's terms, I think it's where you're put into a point of danger or confrontation, and it's your body's natural response to that. Can you, can you speak a little bit more about that, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and just set it up for us, and I think it'll, it'll work into the next part of our conversation. Sure, sure. Um, yes, obviously, it, it's a balancing act uh, to keep yourself um, in terms of the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Um, the thing is just, if you're in the sympathetic nervous system, it's, it's disastrous because it's just releasing all these stress hormones and negative hormones, and it puts you in a perpetual state of fight and flight. Yes. So all the necessary um, to, to protect your immune system goes into the bloodstream, and uh, it, it, it weakens you, and it's, it's an amazing study um, in terms of what it actually does. So the challenge for us, given these circumstances, is how do I, how do I, how do I create a balance 
in terms of being more in the uh, parasympathetic nervous system. But to explain that concept is that um, we need to recognize that probably the biggest emotion facing all of us is the emotion of fear. Um, because fear you know, creates a lot of uh, ripple effects in terms of igniting other emotions. But fear is the number one um, emotion that releases the stress hormone. And it's the number one um, emotion that affects our immune system. And, and if you look at it, uh, Peter, guys, we all have a reason to be anxious. We all experience fear and, and, and uh, feeling depressed and feeling anxious and, uh, because we know that we are vulnerable. I mean, we acknowledge it. And to go around and say, well, I'm not vulnerable, you know, uh, will be a mystery to explain. And it would be quite naive of you to say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not vulnerable in these circumstances. Um, so, so what is the first step that you and I have or that we all need is, and it's amazing actually, is, is to be conscious about it. And in other words, to recognize it. Uh, and, and as I've mentioned, to go about uh, around in, in naivety, uh, naivety is, is really not wise because essentially what you are saying is that there are no dangers out there or, or around. And it's very important for us to be aware of what our problems are. And the reason is so that we can be alert existentially. And in other words, be fully self-conscious of our limitations that we experience at the moment and, and how you and I might get hurt or be hurt, you know. Uh, and then once we are consciously aware of that, then to move to the land of the unknown, so to speak, because we don't know what, what the new normal is. Everybody talks about the new normal. So the question really facing all of us, regardless of what industry you're in, is what what to do what do people do with who are anxious who's, who's afraid who's depressed who who's living in a in a state of perpetual fear and the clinical literature on this is very clear guys it's very clear it says number one lay out what you are anxious about in detail don't ignore it what is that that you are afraid of? What might happen to you? So lay it out. And then the second suggestion is, once you are, understand the detail of the anxiety, is then to decompose it into small little manageable problems. And then you expose yourself and you become conscious about the things that you are afraid of. Now, here's the interesting thing. What happens then when you acknowledge that? Does it mean you and I become less afraid? No, the interesting thing is once we recognize and be consciously aware of what, what, what is our fear, is that we become braver. We literally become braver. And when we become brave, and here's the interesting thing, there's something in me then, then wanting to take on more things on a voluntary challenge. You know? then I want to grow and thrive and self-actualize. Because it's very important to recognize two things here, what is happening to you and I. Because we, we impose two types of stresses on ourselves. The one is the involuntary stressor. 
This is me, I'm waking up and I'm in this state of anxiety. Oh, this is the end of the world. What's going to happen to me? I'm no worth. I've lost my job. Nobody, I mean nothing. Oh, and we are really drama queens cum laude, so to speak. You know, and it's literally being having the foot on the pedal and with the brakes on and the hand brakes on. Now, can you imagine that scenario? And then you're also using future resources because you're now in the fight and flight mode. But what happens if the stresses are voluntary? I know it. I recognize it and I decompose it. Now I'm actually a totally different psychophysical system in the brain, the prefrontal cortex. Now I'm consciously aware of what my stresses are and now I'm ready, braver, to approach it and challenge it. And now I experience more positive emotion because I know what the heck is going on. Hello, sympathetic nervous system. Hello, I'm there. So I'm much less harder on myself. I'm operating from the prefrontal. I have higher order reasoning. I am far more sophisticated than my problem solving. I'm far more creative, fear regulation, and all those type of things. Now, let me give you a classical story of what happened just a week ago, just to explain involuntary versus voluntary. Um, get a phone call from, uh, from a friend of mine, and the minute I pick up the phone, it's, you can hear involuntary stresses. Hello, emotional crying. This is the end of the world. So what is happening? I don't know. You know, whoa. I, I don't know what has happened, but this is it, I'm finished, I mean nothing, life is over, I'm worth nothing, I'm just a slave in the house, typical involuntary. So I said to the lady, okay, hang on, that's not going to help. What have caused it? You know, go to the voluntary understanding, decompose for me what it is. Long story short, she lives with a with a son and a and, and daughter-in-law. Uh, she perceives herself as being only this the servant. She has to do the cleaning. She has to do the washing. She has to do all of that. So we started with a process of stop the involuntary because you've got no control over it. What is the voluntary stresses? Because you made a decision to respond to it. And this is then also what is referred to as being either mindless, I don't know what the heck is happening to me, versus being mindful. So mindfulness means you retrain the brain, uh, amongst other things, uh, because you operate in the present. And, you know, guys, it's amazing the studies that has been done on this, because scientists have at least identified eight different responses to the brain that benefit from mindfulness. And I'll explain mindfulness now for you. But there's two significant ones I just thought I just want to raise with you guys this afternoon. And the first one is what is referred to as the anterior cingulate cortex. And where it is, it's located very deep inside the forehead uh, behind the brain's frontal lobe. But why is this so important? And why mindfulness and being aware of our stresses? Because it is associated with self-regulation. It, uh, it's, it's my ability to purposefully direct attention and behavior. You know, see there the braveness comes in. It suppresses inappropriate knee-jerk reactions. 
you know, responses. And it's also associated with learning from past experiences. I've been there. You know what I've done? That worst things have happened to me. I've been without a job before. You know what? Tackle the bloody. Sorry, am I allowed to say that? Tackle this. <laughs> I'm getting quite excited here. No, okay. But now, what happens if it's damaged, guys? Well, now I'm impulsive. Unchecked aggression. Hello, who, who, how do you hello? Don't you hello me? You know, that type of thing. And then, uh, and I'm holding on to ineffective problem solving strategies. You know, I don't learn from my experience because it's damaged. And then, of course, the old hippocampus sitting on both sides of, of the ears, and it's covered with receptors from stress hormones. Uh, cortisol, cortisol, it, it releases cortisol. And because of it being damaged, I'm in a constant state of chronic stress. I'm traumatized. And on the nucleus of the amygdala, it, it, it's the, the trauma is potentiated. It's like a glue that's stuck there. And it, and it really puts me into this sympathetic nervous system. I'm, I'm a wreck. But if you practice mindfulness, it affects the brain areas related to perception, emotion, regulation. This is what we want, ladies and gents. And it's, it's a beautiful name. It's referred, sorry, it's referred to attention economy. It's ability to maintain focus and to concentrate. So it literally keeps the brain healthy. That we all need now, guys. We all need the brain to be kept healthy. So, but how do I practice mindfulness now? Okay, there, look, I'm just going to give you a short version of it. I mean, it's, a, it's an amazing study. But you need to practice it every day. It needs to become a habit. And it starts at the beginning of the day. Because research has also shown that the most stress hormones are released the minute I wake up. Because the minute I wake up and I become conscious, what is happening? I'm already thinking about the day lying ahead. And I'm already worried about what is happening. Not just this day, but what's going to happen at the end of the week. Oh my, oh the, the end of the month is coming. Never mind the end of the year. How am I going to pay? So there I'm sitting. I haven't even started my day. And I'm already stressed out in the sympathetic nervous system. And there I go. In the cortisol is in the bloodstream and I'm a wreck. So how, the, so how do we manage this reality? Because it's real. You need to create literally, guys, a mindfulness algorithm, so to speak. So let me go back to the example that I've used. So after she explained to me, this is what is happening, how do we create mindfulness? Now, she could sit there and say, well, I'm a slave. Uh, what's going to happen? I'm 68 years old. This is the end. Where am I going to get work? All of those involuntary responses. I said, well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. What is your uh, involuntary? What is your voluntary responses? Okay, so what is the cause of what is happening to you? I perceive myself as a slave. This morning I had to do all the dishes and what I did. Simple, practical examples. Plus this, plus this. And then I said, okay, how do we exercise? What is one of the key focus of being mindful is to express gratitude. Because when you're in a state of gratitude, more than 1,200 positive chemicals are released in the body, of which the most dominant one is serotonin and dopamine. So that, that feeling of experiencing that. So have a look at what you saw as you clean. How do you look at that job that you are doing, for example? Well, I'm cleaning, but the same pots and pans that I'm cleaning was the food that provided a meal to you. 
So how do you look at what is happening? So we went through this whole process of saying, well, what can you be grateful for? Because now you control, you're being mindful versus mindless. And then, you know, we obviously don't have the time to go in through each and every detail, but, but, you know, there's wonderful breathing exercise and people are saying, oh, for heaven's sake, breathing. You cannot imagine the science that has been discovered after the simple breathing modality. And there's also wonderful psychosensory modalities that one can use and, you know, that, 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 that to release the stress, to remove the trauma. Uh, from out the nervous system. Uh, I mean, we talk about goal visualization, uh, affirmation, but affirmation is, is uh, important, but it needs to be more than, okay, I'm just a good person. I'm just a good, valuable person. It needs to be more direct and more based on observing yourself and encouraging, encouraging yourself in the moment. A lot have been said and written about affirmation, for example. But you need to be quite deliberate there. Now, let me give you a simple example. Um, let's say you have a negative thought. Uh, no one likes me. First of all, be conscious about it. Voluntary stressor. Understand, now how do I become brave? Let's use the modality of affirmation, for example. And how do I do it? Well, the right people love me. You know, start having that mindset. Um, how many of you, oh, I'm too old. Who, where am I going to get a job after this pandemic? I'm too old. Can you imagine you have a mindfulness approach by saying, wow, I have all the experience in the world I needed to start a new career. So it's all about how do you direct your mindset. But based on your question, Peter, how do I get out of the um, sympathetic nervous system into a parasympathetic? Key here is one, consciously aware of what is happening, recognize it, then broke, break it down, decompose it, and then look at that, and then says, okay, let me address that. So that, you know, that in, in a nutshell, you know, in a nutshell, that would be one way of handling stress. And, and functioning more in the sympathetic nervous, a parasympathetic uh, nervous system. Fantastic, and and because um, you know, I, when a lot to to take in. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Um, I'll have to go back and and listen to that and 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 apply those more practically. Um, and I, I think that the, um, I don't want to dive too deep into. I I did ask you to prepare. Um, uh, to, to explain a little bit more about the reticular activating system um, as a premise to, to one of the other questions that I had. But I think um, I, I don't want to dive too deep into that because I think it, it, it's, it's somewhat less practical than, than, than what I'd envisioned initially. But um, I, I, at, you know, going through school and then going through university and then work, I've always tried to, um, you know, there were basic um, uh, principles that, um, that, that, that were taught at school in terms of um, psychology, the, the, the human psyche and, and how to sort of uh, approach various sort of aspects within a, a personal standpoint, a workplace standpoint for happiness to be achieved. And one of the, the models that I've always tried to, because simply it was the, the model that I could explain to myself more easily was um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think I explained um, in, in the, the questioning that if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I mean, there are basic 
um, physiological and safety needs that need to be met in order to start focusing on on the things that we're talking about now, creativity and and um, uh, you know, uh, finding your place and belonging in the world and uh, a sense of community and, you know, that kind of thing. But right now, uh, a lot of families and, and, and people are experiencing their very kind of income and, and, and source of, uh, of, of safety and, and housing and, and food and the basic needs that we need to, to, to start focusing, get those done, and then we can start focusing on the things that are, are uh, you know, stem with the, you know, creativity and what I mentioned before. How, I mean, how do you, is there a way that you can almost trick your brain into skipping those steps? Because, you know, I, I, I often find myself, you know, in an eight hour day with a lot to do, but I can't get over the fact that, you know, there's about three weeks left and, you know, I don't have that set salary coming in. So I need to hustle during this standpoint to make sure that I have food on the table, that I have a house over, you know, a roof over my head. And I think it's, it's going to become, uh, a reality for a lot more people um, now during the pandemic um, that they have to face. I mean, how do you get through those steps knowing that they are important, that you need to assign resources to the, the, those important physiological sort of needs, but also not having it damper the creativity and the sense of belonging and the community and the family and the relationships and not damaging those relationships? Well, absolutely, that's critical because we're all suffering from these psychological wounds. You know, we uh, you make you made reference to Maslow and, and Maslow's hierarchy of need because he was focusing on uh, not what is mental illness but what is positive mental health, uh, and uh, he developed his now world famous hierarchy of needs. And he, at the end of the day, says, "Well, uh, it, it's not really pursuing happiness; it's pursuing meaning. You know, what's the meaning?" And he and he phrased as his self actualization. But now the statistics are against us, guys, because at the end of the day, prior to the pandemic, all the books that have written, all the research has been done. Um, people in this field are quite adamant and clear that hardly 1% of people really truly self-actualized because most of their time and energy is focused on uh, attending to the basic needs, the social need, the, the self-esteem need, and the love need, because we all carry psychological wounds of the way that we experience life and the way we be conditioned and programmed and where we come from. So inadvertently, you and I, and at an unconscious level, are desperately trying to find meaning in life. So here comes the pandemic. So if the statistics were against us then, can you imagine the impact that it has on us now? Because now it's just been amplified. Uh, it's even worse now. So imagine us running up and down Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So, so how do we do that? You know, how is there a practical way, and, and, and at the risk of sounding patronizing or, or even minimizing, it, how do we do that? Now, a lot of people will say, well, look, I have faith that uh, a, a means will come, and that's wonderful. And and that's a wonderful, but that's a placebo effect. So placebo works. But what is the biggest challenge for you and I is the non-sebo. And the non-sebo is, doesn't matter what I'm doing, I'm doomed. I'm gone. I'm finito. That's, you know, that's it. And it's like you now say, Peter, worry already about three weeks from now. And, 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 and without going too deep here, you must remember that we are, we are electrochemical organs. 
So apart from all the chemicals that we release just by thought alone, we are also, because this is where Einstein says, the mind is the sole governing agency of the body. In other words, what I think and what I fear, I put all of that poison in the body. And then I behave and respond to my decision-making is then based on that. But we also are an electrical because we are pure energy. So if I, in a perpetual state of fear and anger or worry, that's the energy that I then, you know, express. And as that energy, now I know now we move into a little bit into the field of, you know, quantum mechanics, because now people are saying, ah, oh, it's nonsense. It's not nonsense. The law of attraction, the law of gratitude, the law of, all those laws are starting to play because it's real. You know, we can't maybe physically see it. So, so being an electrochemical organ, we're, uh, we're not just hurting ourselves biologically, but we're also now surrounding and our life view starts to be very dim and gloom and so forth. So how do I maintain a positive outlook in the midst of despair? Guys, it's not easy. There's no miracle cure. There's no, you know, go take a little sugar tablet and off you go. It is creating a habitual mindset based on a number of factors. And Peter, there are many of these. And two key factors here. And I've experienced it. I've been in the most privileged position to work with people um, who absolutely were doomed and gloomed. I mean, once again, just experience with a lady that walked into my, my classroom, lecture room, um, didn't want to be there. Long story short, um, listen to this. So it, it, it's very, um, uh, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, very real for her because she came to me and she said to me, okay, Corbis, this is what has happened to me. Now, I'm going to use the example. She said, when I, was when I was seven years old, I was abused by my grandfather, uh, sexually abused. So she said, so, but uh, now listen to this. I enjoyed it because as a seven-year-old, what the hell did I know about this? At the age of 11, I was abused by my other father-in-law. Now I'm angry because I have knowledge. So here she sits in a nervous system. She has this guilt and anger. And as a result of that, where's the psychological wound? I'm nonsense. I can't be loved. It's my fault. My mother didn't do anything. So she sits with all this emotional baggage. And what you need to do there, two things happen. You need to remove the trauma and you need to replace the trauma with something that's upbuilding and uplifting. And there are wonderful processes out there that can do both of those. So is there a quick fix answer, Peter? Uh, if you feel down, just do A, B, and C. No, it is a process. It's a process of removal and replacing because the mind is... is susceptible to suggestion. The mind is ready for you to feed it, but you need to know how to access it. And this is often where, uh, you know, these one-day self-help programs or self-help books seldom happen. People go, read the book, and they're very determined to make a change in their lives and what have you, and then nothing happens. 
Why? Because they're working with a conscious mind, but the secret lies in a different mind, the subconscious mind. Mm. And, and like you say, if we go there, uh, I mean, we're going to be here the whole evening and the whole afternoon. And yeah. Because and, and there's wonderful uh, information there. Sure. So, uh, so Peter, yeah. I think, I mean, that's, that's I suppose, why I, I wouldn't say procrastinated to, to have this right at the end, but... Um, I wanted to highlight the importance and finish off with the importance that this is now being engaged with. Um, where in in my limited experience in, in professional career, I've I've not had discussions about mental health in the workplace. It's never been something that's been at the forefront of any discussion that I've ever sat through, any wellness program that I've sat through. Look, and and you know I, I've got a very unique experience. So do hundreds of thousands and millions of people that are, have been employed by organisations and and you know, may have had really incredible wellness programs that do discuss these kinds of topics. But I think that it, it, it needs to be discussed more. In, in my social circles, I've reached out to, to multiple friends to engage with my experience with mental health and having to see a psychologist and a psychiatrist for the first time in my life. And I'm not someone whose default setting uh, tends to be in that direction. But you know, w what happens when you can't, um, you know, gain access to, to that kind of help? Um, and, and, and I think that it, it needs to rely on conversations um, to be had. And, and this is definitely not the format for that, but I, I think that, that, that people need to ha start having these conversations and, and being comfortable with having these conversations. Um, you know, at least in, in, in my experience, it's, it's not happening enough and I could be, it could be a very limited kind of outlook, but I, I don't feel like it's in the, the mainstream to, to be able to speak to these kinds of things in your workplace uh, enough. So, so I really do appreciate um, uh, uh, you sharing and, um, you know, and, and I think um, both yourself and Avlika, thank you so, so much for, 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 for sort of engaging with the topic and, and, and writing so, so impactfully about it. I, I think, especially in, in today's day and age, I think it's a nice place to open up a conversation about mental health in the workplace and, and having a positive mental mindset and how to, to start putting in parameters in place to have those mental mindsets. But um, I, I don't want to keep uh, anyone much longer. I, I really do appreciate you spending so much time um, uh, on the conversation. It's, it's been almost two hours. I do apologize. Um, but, but, you know, I, I just want to finish off with, with, with um, a, a point of gratitude. And I think, Kobus, you mentioned this as well. For, for someone, um, you know, who, who hasn't had the exposure to, to the tourism industry, um, you know, for, for as long, uh, you know, I, I've, I've only operated in the tourism industry for the last five years and, and not had the privilege and experience to, to engage with, with uh, intellectuals in the industry like yourselves and, and people that are so passionate about uh, topics that are important. And, and thank, I, I really just want to thank you for, for taking the time to share. Um, I, I do hope that it, it resonates with people, as I'm sure it will. Um, they need to pick up this book and, and read it because it starts discussing topics of kindness and um, topics of practical action points that you can take in your business in South Africa. And there's not enough of that. So I really want to thank everyone for, 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 for engaging today. Um, Shana Lee, thank you so much for putting this together. I really do appreciate it. Um, Mandisa Koba, Sarah, Navlika, thank you so, so much. I really, really appreciate it. Um, uh, all the best. Uh, we've got some trying times ahead of us, but some really, really positive things to come out of it. Uh, and and I, I can't wait for the future of, of, of travel and tourism uh, in this COVID-19 um, scare. It'll be behind us in some format, but it'll be with us for, uh, you know, 
for, for, for our future. But I'm, I'm really glad that there are people like you in the industry that are engaging with it uh, in, in a productive way and, and, and sharing your knowledge and, and expertise. Wonderful. Yeah. Lovely. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, well, thank you for putting this together. Yeah, Absolutely. thank you. Absolutely. Wonderful. I really do appreciate it. All the best, everyone. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, have a wonderful evening. Thanks, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye. Bye.